We're continuing our study this morning in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to turn there, verses 28, 29, and 30, and we'll be focusing on verse 29 shortly. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, part of a series called More to Life, as we're exploring how Jesus said for us to live, the kind of life he had in mind for you. If you're a Christian, the kind of life he had in mind for you when he saved you. If you're not a Christian, the kind of life he has in mind for you if you would know him. The title of this morning's message is Take My Yoke Upon You. And that's taken directly out of verse 29. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you and I have run into each other in the store and we've exchanged small talk, and this happens. We've exchanged small talk for a few moments, and then we pause, and I look at you, and I say, let me ask you a question. How are you doing? You have conversations like that with people, don't you? Just look at them. How are you doing? And it's not a, hi, how are you question. You're serious. You really want to know how they're doing. How are you doing? Last year, researchers at the Harvard School of Public Health conducted a study of adult stress in the United States, and among those who reported the most stress, the top stressors were too many responsibilities overall. People with the most stress said, I just got too many responsibilities. Problems related to finances was a close second. Problems related to work was almost equal to problems related to finances. And the last category that caused stress was problems related to personal health or with family. But those top ones are what you need to hear. Too many responsibilities, problems with money, problems with work, and then what are the things that add to that? Daily stress. Juggling schedules of family members cause stress. If there's more than one of you in the family, you've got schedules to juggle, and the larger your family is, the more challenging that can be. Hearing about what the government or politicians are doing was number two. The, set, the third one was watching, reading, or listening to the news. Can I make a suggestion? <laughs> if those things are adding to your stress, you might want to bypass those. The last one is household tasks, such as cooking, cleaning, running errands. Those things add to daily stress. But that first one's more, most important. Juggling schedules of family members. Too many responsibilities. Juggling schedules. All these things add stress. But the question that was never explored in this study is this question. Why do we get stressed over these things? Nowhere in the study. I read it. 13 pages long. Why do we get stressed over having too many responsibilities, juggling schedules, finances, and work. The secular solution to stress is to lower stress. Ride a bike, spend more time at home, do what you can to lower the effects of stress on your body or on your mind. But what does Jesus say the problem is? Well, we've been studying this passage for several weeks, but listen again in that light. Matthew 11, verse 28 29 and 30. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says the problem is not stress. The problem is how your soul is reacting to life. He says, all you who labor, we've already studied this, but it refers to a drivenness in the soul, a pushing or pulling in the soul. Heavy laden means you're trying to perform according to the expectations of others, of society, even of yourself. You do need to take a walk to Jesus. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. But what does that look like? What does it mean? to go to him. When he says, come to me in verse 28, what does that mean, to go to him? Well, he explains it in verse 29, and that's our focus today. We're going to look at the first part of that verse, and we're going to look at the first decisive act or step that you and I can take to discover this thing called soul rest. What does Jesus mean when he says, take my yoke upon you? First, he's saying you need to abandon all of your other yokes. You need to abandon all of your other yokes. He says, take my yoke. Now, I was talking about this with the staff during the week. We were trying to, I was talking about sermon titles. And I thought about saying, well, the yoke is on you. And that's not too far from the point. Somebody just got that. In the Bible, the yoke is always a symbol of submission and obedience to God or to law, or to a dominating king or government. But the picture is always the idea of submission and obedience to a higher authority. Yoke is always symbolic of that. Well, why is that? Why would that be picked up as a symbol of obedience or submission? Because a yoke has been used for centuries to enable two animals, two beasts of burden, to work together to pull a load, to pull something that's heavy uh, a wagon or a load. And so for just a moment, let's put our minds in yoke mode and watch this for just a moment. How do you yoke two animals together? Watch this. The first of two methods of yoking that I'm going to demonstrate to you, make sure that your cattle are tied a reasonable distance apart, about the same distance that the neck pieces are on this yoke. Pull your pin and spacer. Slide your bow down over. Repeat that with a nylon. Put your equipment in your pocket. Keep it handy so you don't have to bend down to the ground to pick it up. Now you know how to do it. You almost learned how not to do it. That thing almost got his eye, didn't it? 
First of all, let me ask this. How many animals were involved? Two. That's right. Some of y'all were hanging in there. Jesus is in this with you. He doesn't hand you a yoke and say, now pick up my yoke and put it on you. He's in the yoke with you. All the commentators, all the Bible teachers throughout the centuries have acknowledged that this is a yoke for two. And so he is in the yoke with you. Another question. Did this man ever show you the plow that was going to be pulled or the wagon load that was going to be pulled? No, because it doesn't matter what the load is. Everybody has a life to live. That's your wagon. That's your load. That's your plow. Everybody has a life to live. And Jesus, what he's offering is not less of a life, not even less of a load. What he's offering is a whole different approach to the life that you have to live. Not trouble-free but a way to approach life that's radically different. Now, how many yokes does it take to put two creatures together? Just one. Just one yoke. And Jesus, by his very statement, is implying that you may have another yoke that you're wearing. He says, take my yoke upon you. So the question is, what is the yoke that you already have? What's the one you've lashed you to? What's the approach to life that you're using to get you through difficult circumstances. If it's anything other than the yoke of Jesus, you are going to become that person that he describes. If it's not the yoke of Christ, you're going to be the one who is labor, labor weary and heavy laden, the ones who labor and are heavy laden. You're going to be that person because it's not adequate to meet life's demands. It's not adequate to meet the struggles that you have. You say, well, Don, if, if wearing a yoke means submitting or being obedient to someone, uh, I, don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Well, Jesus is saying you already are. You may not be fully aware that you're under a yoke, but you've got some approach to life that you're using. You're already committed to doing it that way. You're committed that this is the only way I can approach my problems and my needs. And if you're honest, intellectually honest, you know deep down you're not measuring up. It's not working. You're not able to meet life's demands with the yoke that you have. And then there comes a moment when you're thoroughly beaten and wasted. And these words of Jesus come to you almost like, how's that yoke working for you now? And Jesus is particularly sensitive to the person who knows it's not working. And so if, if Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, I've got to take the one I've got and put it away. I may have several different approaches to life I've tried. I've got to set all of them aside. There's only one that works according to the Lord Jesus. And you can only wear one at a time. So what does it mean when he says, take my yoke upon you? He's saying you already have one. You need to set it aside. But then he says something else. Secondly, you need to accept his mission to radically trust the Father. You need to accept his mission to radically trust the Father. We have said that a yoke is a, always a symbol of obedience or submission. So what was the yoke of Jesus? What was his approach to life? We don't have to guess. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.8, when the incarnation occurred and God became man, it says in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, all the way to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus' approach to life was really simple. Obey Father. 
obey Father. That was his approach to life. And I want you to see, I want you to see something important here. This obedience is not impersonal. For Jesus, it's very intimate and very personal. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. I can of myself, with me as the source, do nothing. In chapter 8, verse 28, he says, I do not seek my own will. Excuse me, this is still chapter 5. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of myself, with me as a source, I don't do anything. So what do I do? He says, I seek the will of my Father. Not my will. And he's very clear about that. And then he says in chapter 8, verse 28, I do nothing of myself. There it is again. But as my Father taught me, as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Did Jesus Christ do anything on his own? I heard a preacher say one time that Jesus never did anything. He did everything the Father told him to do, and he did everything with what the Father supplies. But he himself, he didn't do it on his own. I think one of the most striking examples of this, you know, we, we wrestle with the incarnation of, of Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a human being. The question that we don't ask because we're not sure we're a little afraid of the answer. The question is, when Jesus lived on earth and he did what he did, did he do it as a man filled with uh, divinity, filled with deity, and that he performed miracles because he was God? He performed this great teaching because he was God. Be, uh, he cast out demons because he was God. Or... Did he choose to live as an ordinary man, but did it in such a way that he models for us the kind of obedience slash dependence that every human being is called to? Now think about that. He was named Jesus because he would save his people from his sins. But you know he had another name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. And even in that name, he is an illustration of how to live. So he lived obediently. He didn't initiate. He lived obediently. One of the most striking examples of this is in the temptation of Jesus Christ. You remember when the devil went to him and said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, that was particularly tempting at that point. Why? What had he been doing for the previous 40 days? fasting fasting so if you're the son of god turn these stones to bread well is he the son of god yes he's the son of god was he fully god and fully man yes he was fully god and fully man could he have turned the stones to bread absolutely he could have turned the, turned the stones to bread he was god in the flesh he had the power he chose not to use it that's why it was tempting I mean, you can't tempt me to turn stones into bread because I can't do it. But he could. He chose always, never to act on his own initiative. Always to act under the leading, the guidance, the obedience of the Father and whatever the Father supplied.
to him. Did he have a will? Yes. Did he make it his mission to do what he wanted or what the Father wanted? Well, we, he just said it. He did always what the Father wanted. How did he know what to say? In uh, chapter 8, he says, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. I do what the Father tells me to do. So when Jesus takes up my yoke, what is this yoke? What is this approach to life? Well, the picture that emerges is one of total and complete reliance on the Father. Total and complete reliance on the Father. Take my yoke upon you. What is he asking you to do? Rely on the Father. Rely on me, he says. You don't got this. I got this. And so when it says that Jesus was obedient as a man all the way to death, he is saying that he was de- reliant on the Father. He's saying he was dependent on the Father. And that is the core of obedience. It's surrendering my will to him. It's surrendering my initiative to him. It's surrendering what I'm going to decide to him. Everything goes to him. When he cast out demons, did he do it using his divine power? Or was it power being given to him at that moment? Well, he answers that question. In Matthew 12, 28, he was accused of casting out demons because he was some kind of demon. But listen to what he says. Verse 28 of Matthew 12. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, in the original language, that is instrumentality being used there. If I cast out demons by the instrumentality or by means of the Holy Spirit, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says the same thing a little differently. Luke captures it differently in Luke eleven twenty. 20. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, the disciples got to a place where they had to be a little bit exasperated with the fact that Jesus was not very aggressive in their mind. Oh, sure, he made the cord with whips and drew people out of the temple, but most of the time, he seemed to just let things happen that they thought he could have stopped. He was too passive. He set back too much of the time. Why don't we organize this thing, Jesus? Why, why don't we organize it? Look at all of these crowds. Why don't you take a stand and, and crush your enemies? Boom. Why don't you just take them out? We know you can do it. Let's raise some money. Don't send that rich ruler away get him on the mailing list why are you so weak why won't you be like a king the way we think a king ought to be and you know what happened there were people who saw Jesus like that they said he's weak I'm not going to follow a weak person and they didn't Many of them quit. Many of them stopped. What was his philosophy of life? Let the Father handle it. Let the Father handle it. When he had problems with people, 1 Peter 2.23, the New American Standard says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, that's in uh, the New American Standard. That's a good translation. It's a literal one. Listen to what the message says, because this captures what's, what's being said. Listen. They called him every name in the book. That's what revile means. 
They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. No fighting, no pushing back, no defending himself. Father, you got this. That was his posture. Paul wrote that he was obedient to the point of death. Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, for though he was crucified in weakness, you see that? He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. You know, the world sees this, the whole world sees the cross, they see weakness and failure. You know, Muslims can't even handle Jesus dying on the cross. They just see weakness on the cross. Someone who can't handle it. The people watching the crucifixion thought that too. In Matthew 27, verses 41 and 42, it says, So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. You see, for Jesus, his old approach to life was, I don't have to fix the situation. I don't have to prove myself. To these people who are humiliating me, who are reviling me, he says, Peter says. He says, I don't have to do that. All that matters is what does the Father think? Is the Father pleased with me? Am I doing his will? Am I following through on what he has directed me to do? This was the yoke of Jesus. All that matters is what the Father wants. All that matters is the Father. Do what the Father says. Use only what the Father provides. Radically trust the Father with the rest. And I think you can begin to see why this is a really easier way to live. Doesn't mean you won't be crucified. Doesn't mean that life will be easy. But you can find rest for your soul. So what does Jesus mean when he says, take my yoke upon you? First, you've got to abandon every other yoke or approach to life. Second, to take up his yoke is to accept his mission of radical trust and dependence on the Father. That's the way Jesus lived. If I'm going to wear his yoke and he's in that yoke with me, he's going to draw me to live the same way. So thirdly, you need to let the Father manage you. Let the Father manage you and handle every situation you face. Now that's a lot easier to say than do, but I hope you look at those words carefully. Let him manage you and let him handle every situation that you face. Some of you worry to death because you are trying to handle what God says, give to me. Give it to me. Release it to me. How do you take up and put on the yoke? Look at who's in the yoke with you. This approach to life, where you're putting your trust in the Father, look who's in there with you. Jesus, the one who lived that way, is in the yoke with you. There's always another animal. There's always two animals. Every time the commentators, every time the teachers in history have talked about this, there's always two of them. Look at who's in the yoke with you. So how do you, how do you take this on? How do you do what Jesus said? If it's his yoke, I've got to realize that I'm being yoked with Jesus. I'm being bound to him. 
Another sense, I think, that's involved in putting the yoke on ourselves is give up the responsibility for your life to him. Give up the responsibility for your life to him. You say, well, that sounds irresponsible. I said, no, that's dependent. That's the nature of dependence is no longer being independent. Every time you don't know what to do, let him lead. Let him guide. Let him direct. Every time you don't know how to make it, every time you're in trouble, take that situation to him. Father, this is yours. You handle it. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but this is yours. This is yours. And I don't know what it takes for you to do that in your mind and in your heart, but you can't take on the yoke of Jesus as an approach to life that involves radical trust of the Father and then take up another yoke that says, I've got to worry about this till it's resolved. Give up responsibility for your life to him. To share his yoke means to handle these things the way Jesus did, to give everything to the Father to handle. Detach yourself from responsibility for it. Give it to him. Do what he says to do. When I ran track in another time and universe, I ran the quarter mile. Now it's a 400-meter run, but I ran the 440-yard dash. And I was a good utility runner, meaning I could consistently turn in the same time. Wasn't always the best time, but I could turn in the same time four and five times in a Saturday. Didn't go any faster, but if we want somebody who can run this fast, Pusick can do that every time, just deliver every time. And so because of that, I would run in the open races just once around the track, and then I would run the mile relay. Now they call it a 1,600-meter I run the mile relay. And typically, I wasn't the anchor because I wasn't the fastest. The anchor is the last guy of the four. And so a relay is where somebody has a stick called a baton, and somebody runs the first lap and hands it off to the second guy. He runs another lap, and then he hands the baton off to the third guy, and he runs a lap, and he hands it off to the last guy. The last guy is called the anchor. And I was never the anchor, unless the anchor was sick. But they tended to make me the number three guy. And so the first guy would run, and we'd see other, other runners racing that guy all around the back stretch, and then they'd come around where the monkey jumped on your back, you know, the last 110 yards, and then they would come up. And then they would hand that baton off to the number two guy, and I'm just standing there watching this. Number two guy goes, and he's holding his own, but he, maybe he's falling behind a little bit. And I'm going, great. I'm going to have to make up the ground he's losing. And, uh, and he falls behind, and I'm feeling the weight, the pressure, the responsibility. And, and so the second guy comes around, and I get ready, and we, we do the handoff, and, and I'm off and running. And I'm trying to catch up with these other people. And I make up some, some gap, some distance, let's say, and I, I close the gap, and we're kind of even. But I know that our anchor guy, he's really fast. And if I can just get this stick in his hand, I can relax. And so we would come into the zone for the handoff, and I would hand it off to the anchor guy, and, and he would take off, and I would see that dude start running, and I would go, oh, I wasn't a Christian yet, but if I was, I would have said, praise the Lord. <laughs> because at that moment, all the responsibility for that race was now lifted off of my shoulders. I didn't feel it anymore. You know what Jesus is saying when he says, take the yoke upon you that's his yoke? 
He's saying, hand your stuff to me. Give me your problems. Give me your troubles. Give me your fears, your challenges. Give me the situations that you face where you don't know what to do. Give me your, your difficult things. Give me your good things. Let me lead. Trust me. Give yourself to him. Give the situation to him. And when you do, you have moved in a giant step in the direction of finding rest for your soul. Just like the guy handing off the baton. When you hand it to Jesus, it gets a lot easier. The last thing I would mention is this. When he says, take my, mo- my yoke upon you, in verse 29, when he says that, the construction in the Greek language at that moment is, is an aorist imperative. What does that mean? It means he's saying, do this decisively. He's saying, do it now. In other words, don't go home, think about this. Now, I'm, not, I'm not telling you not to go home, think about it. Jesus is. He's saying, take up my yoke upon you. He, he's, he's saying, do it now. Do it now. You don't have to mull this one over. This one's easy. He says, come to me, take my yoke upon you. Now, there's more. We're going to study more. But, you know, if you just got the come to me part, you're moving in the right direction. If you take the yoke upon you, meaning I'm no longer in my approach to life going to handle all my stuff myself, I'm going to totally rely on the Father. And I'm deciding that this morning. I'm going to depend on you, Father. And every time I feel distressed, every time I feel driven, every time I feel like i got to make something happen, I know, Father, in that moment I have dropped the yoke and i got to go back and pick it up again and put it on and give everything to you. But this morning you've got to take that step. This morning, you've got to be decisive and say, I am no longer going to manage my life. I'm going to let you take care of me. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. If you're new to this subject, if you don't know Christ, I want you to know that he lives. He's not an idea in an old book. He is a Savior who was sent by God to rescue you and me from all the enemies of our soul, not just to reduce stress, but Jesus came to eliminate sin and your sin debt that you owe to a holy God. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. He died for your sin. You say, well, pastor, there's no way I could be good enough for God. There's no way I could join a church like this. You don't know me. You don't know how much I've messed up. You don't know how many times I've tried. Listen, Jesus knows And when he died on the cross, everything in your life that was offensive to him, everything you did wrong that damaged yourself, damaged others, Jesus took that on himself. He died for you. The Bible says if you'll come and put your trust in Jesus, come to the cross where he died for you. You can't improve on that. You can't make yourself good enough to earn that. You just come and trust that. Put your trust in him. He will save you. And when Jesus saves a person, he is with them from that day forward. More than with them, he is in them. And he begins to change you from the inside out. But you've got to let him come. You've got to trust him. And say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me. Change me. 
transform me. If you're a Christian today, what will you do? Will you keep the approach to life that you have right now that causes you to be driven in your soul, heavy laden in your soul? Or will you make the decision today, from now on, my approach to life is going to be like Jesus. I'm going to trust the Father with everything. I'm just going to trust Him. Doesn't mean I always know what to do. I may feel like it's, it's all going to cave in if I don't do something else, if I don't save myself. But I'm, I'm stepping right now this morning, and I'm going to trust Jesus to take care of me. No matter what, I'm getting in that yoke with him. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that you spoke that continues to change lives today. Father, I pray for that person, Lord, who's listening, who needs to be set free, who needs to unburden their soul, who needs to know forgiveness and the liberty of simple faith in Jesus. Would you set them free as they trust you? And for my brother and sister who's weighed down with a load of worry and regret, fear, anxiety, anger and hurt, driven to succeed, driven to prove themselves. All the different ways our soul gets misshapen and damaged by our approach to life. I pray for that brother, that sister, you would set them free right now. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Let him set you free. All the world can come he to lives. him and have their sins He's removed. here. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? You're never meant to carry it by yourself. Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? He says, come to me. Son of God and one of us, lover of our souls. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Eternal King, you will reign forever. And we will sing the glory of your name be lifted high for all the world to see your name is all they need your name is all we need isn't the name of jesus powerful Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Chains are broken when it's spoken. Every knee must bow. Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you uh, that we have a place to turn, a person to turn to. Thank you for the awesome way that you radically trusted the Father. How you showed us what a walk of faith really looks like. May we increasingly become living examples of what it looks like when a man trusts God with his whole life. For that person who's bound this morning and thinks there's just no way out, no hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go to that person now and I ask you in Jesus' name show them the truth about themselves. Show them the truth about you so that they know they have a place where they can run and find liberty, freedom, forgiveness, and joy. Father, as we take this offering, we give it to you. We pray you would take this offering to you and that you would use it not only to meet the needs that we have here as a church, but that you would use it to absolutely broadcast the gospel across the Delta and North America and around the world. Thank you for the dear ones who are sharing the gospel today in countries far away and even across our nation. We thank you that you are lifted up in the mouths and lips and voices of thousands of preachers and Christ followers. And Father, may we add our voices to theirs this week as we learn to follow you and walk and step under your yoke. For we ask it in Jesus' name.